Many of you have had the opportunity, the privilege, I think, to meet my son, Simon. Uh, si- he, he played with uh, Adam a couple of times when we were in our transition uh, looking for a new uh, worship pastor, and he's been here other times, obviously, but uh, I just wanted you to know, Simon, if you're watching, he probably isn't, he goes to Veritas, but Simon, if you're watching, you are one of my favorite people in all the world. And I'm saying that, I would say that even if he wasn't my son. Where's Lisa at? Would I say that even if he wasn't my son? I would. He's, he's, just, a, he's just a great guy, isn't he? He's just a wonderful guy. He's handsome. Now, having said all that, I needed to say all that to say what I'm about to say. Raising that boy was not a walk in the park. Randy knows Simon, and he's going, I can imagine, right? Uh, What you need to know, I could probably sum up my son in, um, in one sentence. He is um, one of the most bullheaded people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> is that true, Lisa? Yeah, maybe Kara too, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, when, as he was growing up, he, he's mellowed a little bit as he's gotten older, but he's still this way pretty, pretty much. But, but he's one of those people that uh, no one was ever going to tell him what to do unless he could be convinced that uh, it was a good thing or the right thing. Which, by the way, that's one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite people in the world. Because he's, he, he's a lead, he is who he is. And no one's going to sway him off the path, so to speak. Um, and I love that about him. Um, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When he was a teenager, Simon was into the skater culture. Everybody know what the skater culture is? For those of you that don't know what a skater culture is, he, uh, he wore his hair relatively long and his jeans, or his, his shorts even longer. He wore t-shirts all the time. And everywhere he went, he had his skateboard on his shoulder in the hope that maybe he'd have the t- opportunity to, to use his skateboard, right? Now, a lot of people associate the skater culture with nothing but trouble, rightfully so, sometimes, because a lot of the kids that are into the skater culture are, do get into trouble. Simon didn't. He was a, he's, he, he was a great kid. Um, that's just who he was, and, and there was nothing immoral or unethical about him. That's just who he was. And there were times when it really frustrated him because people would prejudge him for his look. In fact, I remember one day, he came home, I don't know where he was at, and I don't remember all the details, but I remember him coming home, and he was in a rather dark mood, and he was complaining, because he said, Dad, I just get so sick and tired of people judging me for the way I look, and I thought, this is a parental teaching moment, <laughs> and I, he said, I'm a good kid, and I said, you are a good kid, buddy, but you need to understand something, the way you present yourself will cause people to prejudge you. Which, as I see it, leaves you with two choices. You can either change your style, you can conform, (laughs) which I knew that was not going to (laughs) happen. You can change your style and conform, or you can take all that energy that you're using complaining about people judging you, prejudging you, and use that energy instead to prove them wrong. Which do you think he chose? You already know, right? You want to know why he chose 
to not conform? Because he is a bull-headed child of the king. Somebody say amen, Lisa. Go ahead and say amen. Donna, say it's all right. All right. Now, there's a reason why I told you that story about my son. Today, as we're continuing, for those of you who may be guests or visitors with us, we are on a journey through the New Testament book of Acts, right? And today, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture um, that presents for us a bullheaded child of the king. Not unlike my son, Simon. And this is, the, this is the thing that I want you to be paying close attention to this morning as we look into this passage. I want you to consider the possibility that, that maybe God is asking you to be bullheaded once in a while for the gospel. Because there are times I fear that we Christians aren't and we ought to be. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 14. And as you're doing that, I'll give you just a little bit of a reminder of what we talked about last week because it will help inform what we're going to be looking at this week. As you may recall, last week in Acts chapter 13, we were talking about the fact that often there is a cost of discipleship, right? There is a cost often to, be, to being a follower of Christ or being a proclaimer of Christ. In the story last week, we uh, discovered that, it, that the cost of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's discipleship was that he took a hit to his, his, um, uh, uh, his personality or to his, who he was as a, as, a, as a leader. He took a hit to that, his reputation and he thought that it was that hit to his reputation was worth it. Why? Because um, even though there were people who were gossiping and, and, and saying bad things about him, he was able to share the gospel with an entire city, and many of those accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, I want you to think of that cost of discipleship as we move now into Acts chapter 14, because the, uh, the cost of discipleship is going to be ratcheted up this week. If, did anybody have a chance to read Acts chapter 14? If you did, you know what I'm talking about. The cost of discipleship this week may make some of you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It goes something like this. This is what happens. Acts chapter 14. Um, Paul and Barnabas and maybe some other associates move on to the next city to proclaim the gospel. It happens to be the city of Lystra. And as uh, they come into the city, God blesses them. We don't know for sure. I don't remember any stories up to this point where God has um, kind of the centerpiece of, of their ministry being uh, signs and wonders. But that's what's happening here in Lystra. God gives them the ability in the midst of proclaiming the gospel um, to perform signs and wonders. In particular, what happens is there's a man that was born in Lystra that was born disabled, and God gave Paul the ability, Paul and Barnabas, the ability to heal him, which is awesome, right? But here's what wasn't awesome. The people of Lystra see this guy being healed by Paul and Barnabas, and they think, these two are gods! They're Greek gods of some sort, and, and they become so enamored with the fact that they were able to do signs and wonders that they actually want to begin to sacrifice to, to Paul and Barnabas as these Greek gods. And they're saying, no, no, don't do that. That's not what you put. They point their attention to Jesus, which is exactly what they should do, okay? 
Now, that brings us up to our passage. It says in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, that, that word gets out of what's going on there in Lystra. It actually, word gets back to the folks back in Antioch and Iconium. The ones that were jealous because of the attention that, that Paul was getting, right? Back there. The ones that started gossiping and telling, telling stories about him, making him, you know, taking it. They were the ones that were making him take the hit to his reputation. Well, when they hear what's going on in Lystra, that people are, are, are starting to worship them as, as Greek gods, they just go ballistic. They, this has got to stop. We've got to do whatever. So they leave Antioch and Iconium, and they come to Lystra, and it says this. It, it says that those same Jews um, basically convinced the folks in Lystra to come to their side. They, they said, if, if I were to guess what they were saying, they'd say, these guys, these, these are charlatans, right? These, are, these, these people aren't who you think they are. They're liars and, and thieves. They're just, they're just after, you know, whatever they can come up with to, to try to knock these two off their pedestal. Well, what happens next? It says that those same people that were just moments before wanting to sacrifice to them as Greek gods, the same people stone Paul. They begin stoning him, and they actually believe they may have killed him, and they drag him out of the city. See? Cost of discipleship just got ratcheted up a little bit, didn't it? Now we know, if you continue to read the story, that even though he was, he must have been knocked unconscious, right? Because, because we know that because of what happens next. It says that after they drug him out of the city as though he were dead, the disciples gathered around him and he stands up. Now what happens next? Now let me tell you what would have happened next if it had been me. If I had just been stoned and drug out of the city as though dead, and then able to get back up again, I would have uh, hightailed it out of there as fast as I could away from those people. How about you? Raise your hands. Would you have done? Most of you would have done that. The others of you are lying to me, because I bet you would have. <laughs> so, but what does Paul do? It says that to get with the disciples gathered around him, he stands up, and I'm wondering if he kind of looks at them. And then he makes a decision, and what does he do? He walks back into the city. This dude is either insane or the most bullheaded person that I've ever met. Which do you think it was? I think he was bullheaded. But I actually think he was bullheaded with a purpose. You know that part where it's, it seems almost inconsequential that, it, that um, it says that it's being surrounded by those disciples, he stood back up and then walked back into the city? See, I actually think he walked back into the city for a reason. Not just because he was bullheaded. 
I think he stood up, probably still bleeding, and walked back into the city as a testimony. I think he did it as a testimony to um, the disciples that were surrounding him and that thought, oh my gosh, he's dead. And I think he did it for a t- as a testimony to those people that, that stoned him. I think what he was saying to all of them is this. Christians will not be bullied. But we can be bullheaded. Two different things, right? I want you to notice that when Paul went back into the city of Lystra, it doesn't say that he went back in and he started throwing stones because that's what they did to him. Did he do that? I don't think he did that. Why? Because Christians don't do that. But what he was trying to say is that Christians will not be bullied either. We can be bullheaded. He was trying to say, there's going to come a day when all of you are going to have to face um, resistance, let's just say. He was trying to say that there will come a day when, when you live in a culture, listen to me now, when you live in a culture where people will say, you know, times have changed. You need to get with the, get, you need to get with the program. What you believe is, is passe. That's never going to happen, is it? You know what scares me? What scares me is that most of us, when we encounter that, and if you haven't encountered that attitude yet, you will. In the days and weeks, months and years to come, you will. Because you don't live in a Christian culture anymore. And people will forever, whether it be in the media or your next door neighbor or your family members, they will be forever saying things to you like, oh, stop being so old-fashioned. What you believe is things have changed. And most of us, when that happens, you know what we do? We either get with their program or we hightail it and run. Tell me that isn't the truth. We wouldn't be where we are today if that wasn't the truth. If we Christians weren't the ones that either get with the program or hightail it and run. It's time. It's not, we are not, when we are time to, God is saying, get up, dust yourself off, and get back into the city. Be who I created you to be. Salt and light in a world that needs both of those things desperately. And what that means practically is that this world needs the hope of the gospel. And if you just pretend that you're a part of the culture or you don't say anything because you've had some resistance, what good are you? But you better be darn sure of what it is that you're standing up for. Because if you get all upset because somebody's wearing their, their shorts long or they got a hat on in church, you're screwed up because that's not what's important. The gospel is what's important. Loving people is what is important. 
Being Jesus to people is what is important. I want to tell you a story about my son Simon. My son Simon, because of the, of the look that he had, brought more people to Jesus Christ because of the look that he had than I bet all of you combined. And I'm not trying to be rude, I'm just being truthful. He was a part of a, of a youth ministry that had three or 400 kids a week in it, and I don't know how many of them were there because he, because he wore his hair long and long shorts. Truth? We are called to dust ourselves off and get back into the city and be Jesus. Right? Whatever that looks like for you, and I don't know what that looks like for you, but that's what you were called to do and to be. Because I'm fearful that we don't have a whole lot more time to be screwing around. Get up, dust yourself off, and get back into the city. Somebody say amen. amen. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe today is the day you should. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus is worth it. And here's what's even more beautiful. He thinks you're worth it too. He thinks you are so worth it that he was willing to die on the cross for you. And he was willing to rise up on the third day to give you hope that all those things that feel like they that are defeating you aren't because he's already, he's already beat them. And he's inviting you to enter into that victory that is his and can be yours too if only you would receive him. As Lord and Savior, it's not good enough that you came to church today by yourself. As, I mean, that you came to church at, all by itself, that's not good enough. I'm glad you came to church today, but you need to make the decision for yourself to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, right over there, that open door is um, our prayer room. I'm going to be standing right over there as uh, Adam and the band comes up to um, play the last song this morning. If you'd like a prayer with your pastor, it doesn't even, doesn't even have to be about salvation necessarily, but if you'd like to pray for salvation, or anything else with your pastor. I'll be right over there. Amen. I love that. That uh, really speaks a chord to me because a lot of you probably up here is just like, why is that guy wearing a hat on stage? And uh, um, I knew that would be, be an issue for some people. And uh, I grew up on a farm, and that's, that's what I knew. That's what I'm comfortable with. So not wearing it actually distracts me from worship more than, than not wearing it at all. So... Uh, um, I knew, I knew I would get some, some comments about it, and it's great. Like, culture is not what defines the gospel. Um, we gap that with, with church. We try to accept everybody, but we don't accept every belief that comes in. Um, there, there are things that you have to be bullheaded about. There are. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people that do say times have changed culture is different. No, no. The gospel is what it is, and there's truth in that, and there's no changing it. So let's praise that, and let's sing.
You were the one at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You could have had a then without it. Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful name it is And nothing compares to this What a wonderful name it is The name of Jesus Oh 
powerful name is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a powerful name it is and nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus what a powerful name is the name of Jesus. Amen. We started service today. I was talking about how I think this is kind of a family reunion. We can come together and be comfortable here on Sunday mornings. And Lord knows that this world doesn't stone people anymore. But as Craig said, sometimes I feel like through the week you get beat up and we get knocked down, we get tossed around and we can come here and be comfortable. But Craig just told us this morning, we can't stay here. We got to dust ourselves off and go back out. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up in this world. Would you pray with me as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us into this safe space, to bring us to you, into your safe and comfortable arms. But Lord, also thank you for empowering us with your love and with your message. We know that you, we are your messengers in this world. Help us take the confidence that you give us to go and spread that message to those that need it so much this coming week. In your name and in your power, we pray. Amen. Have a great week.